That's right, it's the Dr. Thomas Show. Welcome back. Broadcasting from the free state of Florida. We're glad you're here. Broadcasting from Echelon Health Studios in Tampa, Florida. And uh, if you're not able to uh, see us live on Rumble, you can always download the podcast on any of the podcasting platforms that are available, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, and uh, I think we're on Amazon, too, and everything else. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, today is um, 52 uh, weeks, I think they said, I heard on the radio this morning, since the start of the Ukraine war. And boy, oh boy, what a mess has this been. We have accomplished virtually nothing except for burning up loads and loads of cash and prolonging a essentially uh, millennia old, or if not millennia old, centuries old conflict and uh, continuing that into our new endless war here in America. Mike Lee was on, uh, he was on Fox and Friends. He said this, this is from Breitbart. He says, uh, talking about the Ukraine war, he says, first of all, this is a European conflict. Although Ukraine is not a NATO ally, it is what many people are calling NATO adjacent. It is close to a number of NATO states, but you're right. The United States is bankrolling this endeavor to a very significant degree. $113 billion is a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And um, if you look at this in terms of where it's going, there is no end in sight because this is, like I said, our new endless war. There's nothing in our current administration to say what is the end point of this. There's been no, uh, other than saying we have to beat Russia or beat 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 Putin, whatever that means. And uh, there's been, there's no there's no strategy here. All there is is a strategy is to keep giving money as much much money as possible uh, to Ukraine, and very few people support this war. This is on back to the article. It says, co-host Steve Ducey asked, I wanted to ask about an AP poll that queried all people across the country. Only 17% of Republicans say the United States should have a major role in the conflict. 17%. Is that number so low? Why is that number so low? Yeah, if you, why is that number so low? Because if you didn't, if you didn't watch the news, you would think, I mean, if only if you watch the news, you'd think it's 95%. And that's what Lee says. Lee says, yes, it's interesting. You would think from polling and watching number of members of Congress that the number would be more like 90 or 95 percent. But the military-industrial complex is a thing. The desire in Washington to increase government, to increase the government's response to everything, including a military response to a conflict with a near-peer geopolitical adversary, that meaning Ukraine and Russia, with a huge nuclear arsenal, is strong. So they're talking about the, the desire to increase a military response to um, Russia from us uh, in, in regards to the Ukraine war. And so the American people need to speak up and make this clear. We're not concerned about Putin. Putin's a bad guy, and I hope sincerely he's stuck. This cannot be our fight, uh, nor can it be ours to fund alone. Uh, so he says, you know, look, I'm not a big fan of Putin, and uh, I hope, you know, I hope Putin doesn't, doesn't win, but this is not our fight. This is the uh, rallying call, though, of everybody on the right and left, as far as uh, in the politics. I'm sorry, in um, in Washington D.C., virtually everyone is on board with this, and the only people who are not on board are with people like Mike Lee and people who aren't uh, in government. So you have to look at this and say, well, what is the reason for all this? Because we've been told now that Putin was just this maniac lunatic that just invaded Ukraine. And he wants to take Ukraine, and uh, it has nothing to do with anything other than his um, 
possible uh, cancer, and this is his last-ditch effort to uh, make a name for himself and go down as one of the great leaders. That may all be true. And what that doesn't talk about is why did the Ukraine war even start in the first place? And uh, and if you uh, did some reading on this or some research, you would find it's not as simple as they've been leading you to believe um, that you know that Putin is just some bad guy who wanted to take over Ukraine one day and just got it got the idea to take over Ukraine. This is from Imprimus. Uh, it says this is from October of 2022. It says complications of Ukraine war. This is the Hillsdale Pop, Hillsdale College publication. It's from Christopher Caldwell, and this is adapted from a speech he gave at Hillsdale College in October. And he says, according to what we hear from the White House and from television networks, the issues at stake in Ukraine were simple. They concerned the evil of Vladimir Putin, who woke up one morning and chose, whether out of sadism or insanity, to wreak unspeakable violence on his neighbors. Putin's actions are described as, quote, unprovoked invasion of a noble democracy by a corrupt autocracy. How we ought to respond is assumed to be a no-brainer. The United States has pledged vast quantities of its deadliest weaponry, along with aid that is likely to run into the hundreds of billions of dollars, and has brought large parts of the world economy, particularly in Europe, to a standstill. Now, whatever people in power tell you something is a no-brainer, there's a good chance it is a brainer, and the Ukraine war is more complicated than we've been led to assume. There are reasons why the U.S. may want to project power into the Black Sea region, but we must not ignore what the politics of the region are that the politics of the region are extraordinarily complex, and that Ukraine conflict is full of paradoxes and other optical illusions, and that the theater we are entering has been, for over the last 150 years, the single most violent corner of the planet. And unless we learn to respect the complexity of the situation, we risk turning it into something more dangerous, both for Europeans and for ourselves. So. Back to the point of this is not some unplanned, unprovoked thing that Putin just woke up one morning and, he, and he's going to invade Ukraine. But that's the way it's been sold to American public because that's the easiest way for them to digest it. That's the easiest way to get people to change their avatar from uh, whatever they're uh, wearing, you know, with their mask on or whatever that is, uh, to Ukraine flag. And that's that's what the the, pur- the purpose of the uh, propaganda coming out of Washington is, is just to make you think it's a simple no brainer. Putin's evil. We have to defeat Putin at all at all costs. And now they're also drawing illusions between uh, Ukraine and World War Two, saying this is like Hitler going into, uh, you know, going going into the neighboring European countries and taking them over one by one. And we just didn't stop them. Anyway, historic roots of the conflict respect to the article. Putin invaded Ukraine after the U.S. rejected his demand for a guarantee that U- Ukraine not join NATO. We do not have to excuse Putin, nor do we have, but we should note that until quite recently, having Ukraine in NATO was a prospect that struck even many American foreign policy thinkers as a bad idea. These included George Kennan, who was one of the architects of the NATO alliance when the Cold War began in the 1940s. Kennan was still alert and active at about age 90 years old when NATO won the Cold War at the turn of the 1990s. And in 1997, during the Clinton administration, he warned that American plans to push NATO borders, quote, smack up against those of Russia, was, quote, the greatest mistake of the entire post-Cold War era. So this is when we started getting involved with post-Soviet Union Russia and trying to manipulate things in our favor by expanding NATO further and further.
John Mearsheimer, a professor of the University of Chicago, is a forceful representative of Kenan's standpoint. Mearsheimer is skeptical of, quote, idealist crusades, like the one in Iraq that George W. Bush drew the country into in 2003. He thinks President Bush dramatically overestimated the degree to which the U.S. should spread its values and institutions. In light of present events, he especially faults Bush's push to bring the former Soviet republics of Georgia and Ukraine into NATO in 2008. A lot of, government, a lot of Americans in government at the time felt the same. One was William Burns, then President Bush's ambassador in Moscow, now President Biden's director of central intelligence. In a memo to Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, Burns wrote the following. Ukrainian entry into NATO is the brightest of all red lines for the Russian elite, not just Putin. In more than two and a half years of conversations with key Russian players, from knuckle-draggers in the dark recesses of the Kremlin to Putin's sharpest liberal critics, I have yet to find anyone who views Ukraine and NATO as anything other than a direct challenge to the Russian interest. It would have been as throwing down the strategic gauntlet. Today's Russia will respond. Russian-Ukrainian relations will go into a deep freeze. It will create fertile soil for Russian meddling in Crimea and eastern Ukraine. In thinking about why this would be the brightest of all red lines, consider why it was the Ukrainian problem. Consider why it was that the Ukrainian problem didn't get resolved at the end of the Cold War. Russia is a vast country, the largest in the world. It's not so much a country as an empire, but today it has dozens of ethnic republics in it. Perhaps you perhaps you've heard of Chechnya or Tar Tartistan, but have you heard of Tuva or Mariel or the Republic of Shaka? Shaka is four times the size of Texas, but it disappears inside of Russia. Back in the day, of course, this vast Russian empire was part of another empire, famously referred to by Ronald Reagan as the Evil Empire, that the Soviet Union. There are fifteen. There were fifteen Soviet republics, including Russia, Ukraine, and the Baltic states, Armenia, and Turkestan. And that bigger empire was part of an even bigger empire, which the Eastern European captive nations of Poland, which included the Eastern European captive nations of Poland and Hungary. So all this was the old Soviet Union and then their satellite states like Poland and Hungary, which were not under Soviet Union control directly, but were basically satellites. It says, when communism collapsed in the early 1990s, all these countries fought their way into independence, most of them peacefully, some of them bloodily. Bloodily. But Ukraine, while nominally independent, remained bound to Russia in a number of informal ways, sometimes willingly, sometimes reluctantly. Russia kept its Black Sea fleet in Crimea, unmolested by Ukraine. Ukraine got cheap gas and desperately needed financial assistance, so there was a symbiotic relationship there. Why wasn't Ukraine able to make the clean break? Not because it forgot to, not for lack of can-do can spirit, it was just a really hard problem. With the possible exception of Latvia, Ukraine was the most Russian of the non-Russian Soviet republics. Russia has for a long time been the language of its big cities, of its high culture, and of certain important regions. If you had to give one word answer to why Ukraine war is about, you would probably say Crimea. Crimea is a peninsula jutting out into the middle of the Black Sea. It's where the great powers of Europe fought the bloodiest wars of the century between Napoleon and World War I. It is a defensive superweapon. The country that controls it dominates the Black Sea and can project its military force into Europe, the Middle East, and even the steppes of Eurasia. And since the 1700s, the country has been Russia. Crimea has been the home of Russia's warm sea fleet, warm water fleet for 250 years. It is the key to Russian southern defenses. So yeah, going back even into 
Peter the Great, there was a lot of wars fought because of Crimea to keep it. Crimea found itself within the borders of Ukraine because in 1954, the year Stalin died, his successor Nikita Khrushchev signed it over to Ukraine. Historians now hotly debate why he did that, but why Crimea was administratively Ukrainian, it was culturally Russian. It showed on several occasions that when it was about to break with the Ukrainian rule as Ukrainian was to break with Russian rule. In a referendum in January 1991, 93% of citizens of Crimea voted for autonomy from Ukraine. In 94, 83% voted for the establishment of a dual Crimean-Russian citizenship. We'll leave aside the referendum held after the Russians arrived in 2014, which resulted in a similar percentage but remains controversial. And it goes on to talk about what happened later on. And basically what happened was there was a, um, there was a um, discussion between NATO and Russia. I'm sorry, NATO and Ukraine. And NATO was offering Ukraine a deal to basically become part of NATO and they were going to give them money and then you Russia counter countered this offer and I'm sorry not NATO European Union uh, and Russia countered this offer with a deal of its own but United States went in and overthrew uh, helped to overthrow this uh, president that was agreeing with Russia to take their deal instead of the European Union deal and uh, we helped to overthrow that uh, president, as Viktor Yanukovych. And then after that is when uh, when um, Putin invaded Crimea back in 2014. So you can see here we have a lot of dirty fingers in this pie. And to go out and just say, well, this is just Putin's a crazy person, and we need to spend billions and billions of dollars, and now we're going to beat you, beat Putin. These people are crazy. These people are crazy. They're trying to draw us into World War III is what is going on. For whatever reasons, I don't know. Perhaps they think that they're going to be able to escape World War III unscathed and make a lot of money in the meantime. When I was a kid, we were always taught that the reason that we got out of the Depression was because of World War II. The the, the massive industrialization, I'm sorry, the massive um, mobilization effort that it took to uh, make the machinery and, uh, and uh, all of the war effort basically was a huge economic boom. And that's what brought us out of the recession. I'm sorry, out of the Great Depression. And I think people today see World War III as a way to make a lot of money. And I think, too, you look at Russia, I think they're doing a rope-a-dope on us. If, if Russia wanted to take over Ukraine, I think they could have done it a long time ago. I think Russia is doing a rope-a-dope. And they're doing so smartly because they have in power now, in our side, people who are not up to the task. I mean, let's face it. We couldn't even shoot down a damn Chinese spy balloon that was over our airspace for a better part of a week. And then... We responded by shooting down hobby balloons just to show how macho we were, how butch we were. This is the kind of people who are in power now, the people who run Biden. Uh, Biden's a figurehead. This is a weakness that is going to be taken advantage of and has been taken advantage of and will continue to be taken advantage of. And my concern is that we keep pouring money, billions and billions of dollars into Ukraine. Much of this is going to 
clearly is not going to anything other than lining the pockets of oligarchs, of corrupt people, uh, perhaps even funding people who are going to fight against us in the future, as we used to do you know, famously in uh, Afghanistan by funding the, uh, um, funding the rebels, who then in turn became uh, al-Qaeda. Anyway, all we're doing is pouring more and more money into this and weaponry. Weaponry, weaponry, weaponry. I was listening to the radio the other day that said that the Javelin missiles that have been used so far have depleted all of the uh, uh, Javelin missiles that are available for even our our military to use. So what are we doing here? We're pouring money into this. We're unloading all of our military assets. We have people on the radio, Republicans, uh, talking about how we need to double down our efforts. We need to send more uh, advanced weaponry platform so we can beat Putin. And uh, in the end of this, all we're going to end up is George Foreman and the uh, seventh round of the Rumble in the Jungle when he's fighting, um, I'm sorry, yeah, the Rumble in the Jungle when he's fighting Muhammad Ali, throwing everything he can against this uh, presumed to be weak opponent on the, on the, on the ropes. And then the next round, they're going to come out and knock us out. And the eighth round, you're going to hopefully hopefully not see, but this is what I fear is going to happen. In the eighth round, you're going to see China emerge from the corner, and China will lay down the death blow, just like Ali laid down the blow on George Foreman back in the Rumble in the Jungle. In the Rumble in the Jungle, George Foreman was undefeated. He was like 24 years old or something like that. Ali was 32 years old. Ali was seen as washed up. He had had his jaw broken the previous year by Ken Norton. He had barely beat Ken Norton in a rematch. George Foreman, in the meantime, had blown away Ken Norton in two rounds in one of the most devastating knockouts in the history of the heavyweight uh, title. And so George Foreman was seen as invincible. And what happened was Ali was smart and cunning and tough. And Ali largely laid on the ropes for seven, eight, seven rounds and let George Foreman just unload on him, unload on his arms, his elbows, his hips. He got a few shots into the head. But for the most part, Foreman spent all of his energy in an ineffective attack on Ali, thinking that his overwhelming force was going to take Ali out. And that's what became the rope-a-dope, as Ali termed it later. He rope-a-doped George Foreman and knocked him out in the eighth round. And that's what I'm afraid is going on with us. We're getting rope-a-doped. And... Uh, when is the knockout going to come and what is the knockout going to look at? You cannot underestimate the idiocy of our current administration and how weak they appear. How weak they appear to you. Just think of how weak they appear to our enemies. This is a bad situation. World War III is not going to be good for anybody. I don't want to see World War III for our children. I don't want to see World War III for our troops. I don't want to see World War III for the people of Ukraine or Russia. This has got to be stopped. And there's no one in Washington talking about stopping this damn war. There's nobody in Washington talking about stopping it. All we're doing is a march towards more and more conflict escalating further and further. I was listening to um, Hugh Hewitt the other day. He said that in his idea, what would happen would be there would be a, a Putin would uh, would lose the war by getting overthrown. This was his idea, is that we were going to 
beat we were going to beat uh, Russia by proxy through Ukraine by allowing uh, Ukraine to make Putin so unpopular through war losses that they would overthrow Putin in Russia and that would be our victory. Explain to me how that is a victory for anybody. Uh, do we not remember what happened in Libya when we overthrew uh, Muammar Gaddafi, allowed him to be executed? What happened after that? The Muslim Brotherhood took over. What do they think is going to take over? Who's going to take over in Russia if Putin, the strong man, goes down? This is, this is lunacy. This is our goal, apparently, among the, the, uh, the intelligentsia, is to overthrow Putin. And that's how we're going to win. This is crazy. What needs to happen is there needs to be a negotiated peace. Where are all the peaceniks? Where are all of the people who are concerned about no war? Where are the anti-war demonstrators? I haven't seen one. Have you? I haven't seen one anti-war demonstrator. Uh, so where are all the where is all the people who are for peace? I haven't seen it, and, and you don't see it anywhere, and you certainly don't see it in the media, and you certainly don't see it pushed by uh the, uh, the um, professionals and in, in politics only thing you see is more and more war speaking of war uh this is from the china, uh, daily mail uk daily mail it says china successfully tests a phantom space strike weapon that can which can overwhelm a missile defense system and uh, you may be wondering well how the hell does china figure all this out and for that we'll have to go to the EIB network, courtesy of uh, Rush Limbaugh, and this is white comedian Paul Shanklin explaining the roots of how China could ever possibly find this type of technology. Chicom Pictures presents what will surely become an animated classic. Bill Clinton stars as Cruella DeVille, a president who's always changing his spots in 1001 Donations. I don't care what it takes. I got to have a thousand and one of them. Cruella DeBille and his henchmen are assembling a multi-million dollar war chest. Uh, Mr. DeBille, I don't know if we should be taking donations in the White House. It just ain't right. Look, I don't pay you to be right, Mr. Wong. Now help me with these bags of cash, will you? <laughs> yeah, do what the boss tells you. Besides, illegal or not, the press won't even think twice about it. Ah, uh, good point. If you like Lady and the Scam and the Lion King, you're gonna love one 1001 donations. Uh, say, what do you say we head over to the Chinese embassy? I hear there are lots of donations over there. Now, you moron, we've got five $100,000 coffees this afternoon, a half a million dollar dinner tonight, and Lincoln's bedroom is booked through the weekend. Get busy. 1001 donations, starring John Wong, Charlie Tree, Al Gore, Maggie Williams, and Ron Brown as the fall guy. Gas up, Air Force One. Now, we're taking a bunch of Buddhist monks for a $100,000 plane ride. Yeah. <laughs> 1001 donations. Now playing at a government-owned property or installation near you. That was uh, Rush Limbaugh's program, and that was uh, Paul Shanklin portraying Bill Clinton. Uh, so anyway, this is a flashback. This is from CapitalResearch.org. This is back during when Trump was first president. It says, flashback, Bill Clinton gave China missile technology. It says, with all this talk about Russians allegedly interfering in U.S. elections, it's worth recalling that it wasn't too long ago that the previous Democrat in the White House betrayed America by working hand-in-hand -hand with our communist enemies in mainland China. 
As president, Bill Clinton essentially wiped out any strategic advantage U.S. had by selling advanced U.S. missile technology to our enemy, the People's Republic of China. That, that quote, administration's voluntary release of all secrets of the American of uh, all the secrets of Americans' nuclear test combined with the systemic theft of secrets that were left as a result of its lax security controls effectively effectively wiped out America's technological edge, David Horowitz writes and has recently published at that time recently, The Black Book of American Left, Volume 7, The Left in Power, Clinton to Obama. It says, unlike administrations that had preceded it, the Clinton administration accepted millions of dollars from the military and intelligence services of at least one hostile foreign power. All this was done in exchange for illegal campaign contributions from a massive totalitarian country determined to eclipse the U.S. as a world superpower. Bill Clinton also lifted security controls, allowing thieves to access other vital military technologies while disarming his own side and opposing needed defenses. This is Horowitz writing. One of the key technological breaks China received without having to spy to get it was the deliverance of supercomputers once banned from export for military security reasons. Listen to this. Supercomputers underpin the technology of nuclear and missile warfare. And not only for firing and controlling the missiles, a supercomputer can simulate a nuclear test and is thus crucial to the development of nuclear warheads. But according to a Washington Post editorial, in the first three quarters of 1998, nine times as many supercomputers were exported to China as during the previous seven years. This transfer, Horowitz writes, was authorized three years after the spy thefts were detected. What rationale besides stupidity, greed, or some equally indefensible motive could justify this? What responsible president or administrative officials at any relevant level in any government would allow the massive transfer of national security assets like these to a dictatorship that had stolen their country's most highly guarded military secrets? It says, back in 1990s, as longtime Clinton bagman Terry McAuliffe, now governor of Virginia, former governor of Virginia now, set records for raising money for the Clintons. In that era, uh, congressional investigators unearthed an elaborate communist Chinese money laundering scheme. Under it, money was funded, funneled from the Clinton organization through business people, including La Lin, Charlie Tree. In, in that case, 94 individuals either refused questioning, pled the Fifth Amendment, or fled the country. Tree accepted a plea bargain with federal prosecutors in 99 in exchange for providing information about questionable campaign contributions from China. McAuliffe helped a company called Laurel Space gets seats on the official trade missions. He reportedly convinced the Clinton administration to overrule national security officials in order to win approval for the Laurel deal. They gave Red China critical missile technology. Laurel's chief executive officer became Democratic National Committee's largest donor, and McAuliffe became the DNC chairman. According to the Wall Street Journal account from the Clinton days, a bipartisan congressional inquiry found, quote, Beijing has stolen U.S. design data for nearly all elements needed for a major nuclear attack on the U.S., such as advanced warheads, missiles, and guidance systems. Targets of the spying range from Army anti-tech weaponry to all modern jet fighters. Most of this wasn't done by professionals, but by visitors or front companies. Lack security uh, by the Clinton administration is blamed in part in satellite makers Hughes and Laurel are criticized. It goes on and on. We'll talk about it. Anyway, that's a little bit of history about it. So here we go back to this article about the Chinese launching 
a missile uh, uh, missile phantom strike weapon. So this was, uh, like I said, the UK Daily Mail. It says, China has successfully tested a, quote, phantom space strike, a new tactic to overwhelm and sabotage missile systems by emitting fake target signals from space. Military engineers announced earlier this month they had completed a computer simulation. Get, remember the remember the supercomputers, and achieved positive results. The tactic is designed to overwhelm the enemy on the basis that there is only so much a missile defense system could cope with. So how would they know what our missiles defense systems could do? Huh, I wonder. This can lead to exhaustion of the enemy's weapon supplies, making it easier to making it easier to destroy it. Meaning the enemy. In the simulation, a ballistic missile was launched against an enemy which had a missile defense system. So China launches a missile against us in this war game. A, quote, phantom space strike is a new tactic to overwhelm. Okay. After surpassing the atmosphere, the missile released three spacecrafts containing radio interfering equipment, which picked up enemy radar networks and sent back dummy signals, successfully triggering enemy forces to launch an interceptor. So they launch this missile. The missile gets into the atmosphere. It releases three spacecrafts. And these spacecrafts have radio interference equipment, which is then picked up by our radars in this war game. And then it sends back dummy signals saying, hey, we are on attack. And it basically forces your defense system to react to false missiles and release all of your missiles and then thus depleting your missile defense. And then they can launch the real attack. Generating phantom attacks in space is extremely difficult. The team wrote, according to South China Morning post, we solved the major challenges with a clever design. The team was led by Zhao Yanli, a senior engineer in the people's liberation army unit, blah, blah, blah. Dummy attacks are often used to exhaust the enemy supplies. The team said this tactic was previously not feasible in space. Now the positive results of the simulation have given them hope as they move the project to the next stage to battle engineering challenges. So here you go. This is uh, not good. Back to my rope-a-dope analogy. It's looking bad, guys. And it's more than just changing your... uh, avatar to a ukraine flag you have to look deeper than that and you have to know anytime in washington there is agreement wide agreement on both sides of the aisle when you have lindsey graham and you have uh dick turban holding hands singing kumbaya give money to ukraine you have to know that there is something bad happening and there is something bad happening if you have children look at your children and think do you want world war three for them do you want your child to grow up under World War III also that some oligarchs can make a shit ton of money off of you? You meaning the taxpayer? Is that what you want? Do you want, if you have children in the military or loved ones in the military, do you want them shipped off to fight Russians over Ukraine? Over some centuries-old conflict? This is something that is is not told to you by CNN. This is not told to you by the New York Times. This is not told to you by the Washington Compost. This is not told to you by um, People Magazine when they put 
uh, Zelensky on the cover and say that he's a champion of democracy. And then if you believe in democracy, you have to believe in Zelensky and blah, 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 send money. This is something that is seriously dangerous. And it's more than just some endless ass war in the far reaches of Afghanistan. Now this is going to be in your backyard, potentially. It's one thing to fund an endless war in Afghanistan to enrich the military industrial complex. You know, what do you care? You're you're you care if you're in Afghanistan yourself. But if you're here in the United States, Afghanistan's not going to ever uh, launch an attack on the United States. Right. But China will. Russia can. And that's what we're dealing with now. And we're dealing with this with the guy who is completely if he if he understands even what's going on. I would be surprised. I would be surprised if, if, if at this stage of his, his life, Joe Biden understands 50% of what's going on. He is a figurehead, but what's more important is what the people around him understand and what are their, uh, what are their intentions? And are they completely ignorant or are they in on it? We have to stop this war. And if it doesn't stop, it's going to lead to it's going to lead to a bad outcome for everybody. Uh, you know, I was, I was, Amazon is such a woke company. Amazon is. I was talking to a patient the other day about it. If it wasn't for being so convenient, it would be so nice to not not have Amazon. I signed into Amazon for something. I was looking up an order, and what did I see? You know, this is Black History Month, right? And so, what did I see in Amazon? They're such they're, they're such racialist. It says, "This is an email." It says, "Support Black entrepreneurs, Black-owned businesses, to advance your supplier diversity initiatives." Learn how Amazon Business can help you achieve your diversity, equity, and inclusion goals by shopping businesses' supplies from black entrepreneurs. Find black-owned businesses by looking for seller credentials under the Add to Cart button. What is this obsession with the left of always categorizing people by skin color? What is this obsession with their racial stratification, uh, racial segregation, uh, everything has got to be about the race. If it's not about the race, it's got to be about the genitalia. If it's not about the genitalia, it's got to be about what genitalia used to be there. If it's not about what genitalia used to be there, it's about what you wish your genitalia was or what you I think your genitalia should be. This this diversity, equity, inclusion, this cult is is so insulting. I mean. There, there's people out there that are, 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 are achieving diversity, equity, and inclusion goals by shopping businesses based on skin color. Is this a thing? This is a thing, and this is, is this supposed to be uh, redeeming? This is a redeeming quality of these companies, that they're shopping for businesses based on the skin color? How does that look? How do you look at people when you meet them? That means that every time you meet a person, if you, if you do this, if you're behind this and you're on the corporate board and you, you do this or you promote this, you say, look, we got to have some more, we got to have some more, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion goals met. We need to find some businesses to do business with. And we need to know what the skin color is of the people who own the business. Isn't that sick? 
Is that not the opposite of what we were trying to achieve in the 60s or the civil rights uh, era? You know, where, where, where skin color was skin color and that's it. Skin color is not a reason to treat people differently or uh, treat people worse or treat people better. Treat people better. It's just a skin color. What is going on? And then if you look at it, I was watching Disney this morning, another woke ass company put on Disney for Olivia to watch uh, while she was eating. And uh, sure enough, there it goes. It says uh, black travel experiences in America, black travel experiences in America. And this is a whole separate show about the black travel experiences. And I don't have no idea what it's about. But all I know is about is that Disney thinks that if your skin color is a certain color, your travel experience in America is going to be different based on your skin color. Is that not, like I said, is that, I mean, what, what are we doing here? What is this, what is this fascination with corporations with this racialist agenda where everything's got to be parsed and diced up by race? And I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's a big money in race. That's why. There's big, big money in race. There's big money in promoting racial strife. There's big money in promoting um, racial separation. You see it in our colleges now where they have segregated dormitories. We're completely going backwards. I mean, if you if you look at the way society is going now, you can easily become depressed because we're going so far backwards and, and the wrong way. It's just, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the uh, what the goal is. You know, we had this Black History Month recently, and uh, Kaylee was supposed to uh, talk about a famous black American. And she said she was going to talk about Rihanna. And I said, well, what is, who's Rihanna? What is she? I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up. Some other kids are going to talk about LeBron James. And I, I was just thinking, <clears throat> you know, it would be nice if, if, if there was some diversity. Speaking of diversity... And in, in who is representative of what is called, you know, black Americans? You know, it, it does it have to be just whoever is a, a celebrity at the, the time being. And if it's not a celebrity, does it have to be someone who's on the left? I, t- I told I told Kaylee, well, maybe she'd talk about Clarence Thomas. She didn't know who Clarence Thomas was. But I guarantee you, if she did talk about Clarence Thomas in her class, she would be the only one who even thought of it or her parents thought of it. I guarantee you. Maybe not. I was actually speaking to a, a gentleman over the weekend. This will blow the minds of the people on Amazon and Disney. This will blow their minds. So I was talking to this guy. He's 57 years old. He's a black guy. And we were talking about uh, kids. And he said that his kids are older. And I said, yeah, well, I actually have a younger child. He said, I'm a lot older than you. I said, well, I'm, you're not that much older than me. But I said, I actually have a younger child because, you know, Olivia was born when I was like 40, I think. And he goes, you know, uh, children are, are gifts or are, are children are, are God's inheritance. That's what it says in the Bible, he said. I said, oh, yeah, that's interesting because I just finished Hillsdale College uh, has the online courses and I just finished Genesis, uh, the history of Genesis or the survey of Genesis. And he says, I, I give to Hillsdale. He says, I like Hillsdale. I like Larry Arn. And uh, yeah, I, I, if I had children in college right now, I'd want them to go to Hillsdale College. And that was it. And we just talked about it. And But I was just thinking, this would blow the mind of your average uh, corporate racialist out there. Because this man, I'm supposed to approach him based on his skin color. 
Am I supposed to immediately think Hillsdale College, if you don't know, is a is a, a university that doesn't accept any federal funding, and they don't want to accept any federal funding because they don't want to have any federal uh, entanglements. They don't want the federal government to be able to tell them anything about uh, how they should operate so far as teaching. And so you can quickly see that Hillsdale College is not left-wing because Hillsdale College wants the government, which is left-wing by history, out of its business. So Hillsdale College is conservative, basically. Traditional, classical, liberal arts education. Anyway, so this guy's supporting a conservative university. But see, I'm supposed to not think that. When I'm supposed to look at this man, I'm supposed to think of his skin color first and immediately assign to him that when he turns on black um, Disney Channel, that he wants to watch only about black travel experiences in America. And I'm also supposed to assume that if he had a black business, that I would want to, uh, I would want to use his business to meet my diversity, equity, and inclusion goals because I feel sorry for him. That's that's what I'm supposed to think whenever I encounter this man. But instead, I never thought any of that, honestly. Obviously, because I'm a I'm a thinking person. I'm not a feeling person. I'm not a uh, brain dead uh, drone leftist. But that's the way I looked at it, and I just thought, you know, this would blow the minds of your average uh, leftist that this is a man, 57 year old black man who likes Hillsdale College. And it would, it's just, but that's, that's okay though, because that's the way it should be. You should not have to think of a man based on their skin color, what their interests are. You should not automatically assign them. That's racism. And that's exactly what is so pervasive in today's culture is racism by uh, attributing people's belief systems based on their skin color, just like Joe Biden. You know, when Joe Biden said, well, you if you have to, you know, when he told uh, Charlemagne, uh, he said the the radio guy. He goes, if you want to, if you if you had to think about who to vote for between me and Trump, then you ain't black. And people just accepted that, and Charlemagne accepted that, and he voted for Biden. I assume. Why? Because he's a liberal. He that's what they do. They 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 don't have any. You know, it, I, I can't explain it. If someone insulted me to my face like that, there's absolutely zero chance in hell that I would pull the lever for them and voting for them. And it may make me check my whole political uh, ideology. It may make me question myself, but I doubt it did with him because, like I said, he's a liberal. He's, you know. Anyway, so it's just, but that's what we have to get past. We have to get past this idea that based on someone's skin color, despite what Amazon says, uh, despite what Disney says, def- despite what the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion cult says, not everyone who has a certain skin color is aggrieved. Not everyone who has a certain skin color is disadvantaged. Not everyone who has a certain skin color has to have your pity, particularly if you're white. Not everyone with a certain skin color needs your help or wants your damn help. You know? How would this person feel, these people that own these businesses, Amazon? If I called them up and I said, hey, you know, this is Echelon Health here. Uh, We're just calling to make sure that the people who own your business uh, have a certain skin color. And I said, well, why do you want that? Well, we just want to help you guys out. You know, we want to include you in our vendors because we feel sorry for you because, you know, let's face it. You're not going to be able to make it without our help. I'm a, it says a white savior complex, even though I'm not white. Uh, we, we need to, uh, you know, we need to help you out and we need to include you 
it's like you know, it's like affirmative action is so. It's so uh, just disrespectful to people to assume that because of their skin color, they need to have lower standards to get in. That they have to have special spots held for them. I'm sure if I told this gentleman over the weekend that I met that, uh, you know, I feel like that you need to have certain spots held aside for you in in, in uh, admissions to college or your children because of their skin color. I, I bet you it would be insulting as hell to him, and it should be. What else we got here? This is terrible uh, news. This is from Florida. This is uh, uh, from just the news. It says, Florida shooting leaves journalist and nine-year-old dead more injured. Orange County Sheriff John Mina indicated that both the reporter and photographer sustained gunshots and one of them had died. At least one journalist and a 19-year-old child are dead following a shooting in Orlando, Florida, suburb of Pine Hills on Wednesday. So what happened was this person killed these people killed somebody and these reporters showed up to cover it that person then shot the reporter shot his photographer and the reporter's dead photographer's in critical condition and it says then the suspect allegedly killed a nine-year-old girl and shot her mother who is critical condition according to uh wsh wesh2 Mina told News 13 that his department had apprehended one individual they believed to be responsible for all the shooting incidents that occurred. So we have detained the person believed to be responsible for the murder this morning as well as the shootings this afternoon, he said. He is 19-year-old Keith Melvin Moses. He is being formally charged in the murder from this morning, which is the reporters recovering, and expect additional charges for the shootings of four people this afternoon. Moses has a, quote, lengthy criminal history according to the sheriff. Okay, so what is this? Oh, just another crime story, right? No. This is, this is, this is a cultural rot before your before your eyes. If you are Mayor Bowser, if you are Mayor Adams, this is a problem of guns. This is what this is. This is a problem of guns. If if this uh, animal alleged animal did not have access to a gun, then he would not have killed anybody. He would not have shot the reporter. He would have probably gone to Sunday school. He would have not have shot this poor nine-year-old child either or her mother. Um, but what this is, is actually, this is an example of cultural rot. I will bet dimes to donuts that this person if we looked into their uh, lengthy criminal history and in their social life and everything else has a very, very, very strong involvement with the government in their life. I will bet that this person has been uh, part of the government welfare system. I bet that this person has a broken home. I bet that this person has a home where the father is absent and the government has taken control of the situation through checks and become the father to this person. And I will also bet that this has been going on for generation after generation after generation. I will bet that this person was educated or attempted to be educated in a school that is dysfunctional because the government spends money unwisely 
I will bet that the government's fingerprints are all over this. I will bet that they live in a, uh, a neighborhood which is predominantly run by Democrats. I don't know any of that's for sure, but I would bet that. And I'd be willing to try to, to, to bet that because I know that my odds of winning are high. And anytime I see these stories, I think of it. It doesn't always happen. Obviously, this guy who killed the Idaho uh, college students, he came from a quote-unquote middle-class background or whatever. But so much of the crime that you see, this senseless cultural rot crime, and, and that, not to say the Idaho killing was not. That was the killing, I think, not necessarily of cultural rot, which obviously it was. He's a moral person if he is guilty. But that's more of the work of a psychopath. I don't know that this person is a psychopath primarily, this person that killed all these people. I think this person is just someone whose life has probably been a never-ending uh, shit show. And it's probably been, like I said, subsidized by the government. The government subsidizes families to be broken. The government subsidizes people to make bad decisions. The government does all kinds of things to ruin the lives of people and, and, and ruin the lives of those people and in turn allow those people to ruin the lives of others like this poor nine-year-old child. Anytime you look at the people who are down and out, destitute or whatever, there's a huge involvement of government in their lives. That's how generational poverty is allowed to just be generational poverty. Generational poverty is subsidized. Generational, uh, I mean, look, look at the inner cities too. The schools, the, the government schools in these inner cities where these kids are like 10% proficiency in math, you know, across the board. Walter Williams used to write um extensively about this, about the poor performance of these public schools, these government schools. And you say, well, it's because they're all poor. And then Williams would also write about other schools that were poor. And it's not because of the poor neighborhoods. It's because of the involvement of government, the involvement of a uncaring government. The government cares only about itself. Government cares and exists to promote itself. It's like a virus. Uh, or, or any type of pathogen the gut that lives inside of its host for its own well-being. Tuberculosis doesn't care if it kills its host. It cares if it's able to live inside of its host. It doesn't care if it makes the host lose weight. It doesn't make care if it makes the host, uh, you know, have problems breathing. It doesn't care if it destroys the host's liver. It just wants to live inside the host. Government doesn't care about people. Government just wants to grow. And the way government grows is by keeping more and more people within its programs. I used to work for the state back in the old days before I went to medical school. And I remember there was this, this never forget this. There was a uh, meeting. It was about, I worked for Department of Labor. And there was a meeting of all the different departments. And one of them was Department of uh, whoever handed out food stamps. And there was a, there's a person there, very, very sincere and they said, uh, you know what? We really need you guys, meaning you people in the other departments like me, I was working Department of Labor, to talk to your clients. They use this terminology, clients. And you need to make sure that they know about the food stamp program because the food stamps program has seen numbers go down. And in their mind, that's not good. We need numbers to go up. And you would think, well, 
we don't, why would we want more people on food stamps? You know, if, if numbers going down means people are able to pay for food themselves. Why would we want the numbers to go down? I mean, why wouldn't we want the numbers to go down? That means people are becoming more independent. They're, they're successful. Well, you know, they're making money on their own. They're not having to use the government to buy their food, but that's not the way the government looks at things. Government, like I said, is like a pathogen and it, and it exists to further its own benefit, further its own lively, uh, uh, life. The government exi- exists to grow itself. The government exists to uh, uh, become bigger, to become longer, longer acting. And the, the food stamp program or this person who ran the food stamp program saw that their, their budget was going to go down if they did not get enough people on food stamps. So in their minds, in the minds of the government, it behooves them to have everybody as possible on food stamps. It behooves them to have big, enormous budgets for Medicaid it behooves them to have many people on uh, welfare programs across the board because that's what they do. They want to grow government. In the meantime, what they do is they destroy lives. They incentivize failure. Uh, they, they incentivize broken families because there's no longer a need to have a husband and a wife uh, in a home to have a child because actually they reward it. The more children you have, the more benefits you get. Again, and then you lead to these things where you have these broken homes, these broken families. And I bet you this person with this lengthy criminal history, I would go out on a limb and say that they have a large government footprint in their lives historically for themselves and also for their family. I'm not going to look it up because I don't want to know because I could care less about this person. I just feel bad for these. This child was killed. But you're not going to hear about this on CNN. You're not going to hear about this. You're not going to hear about this in the Washington Post because this is nothing. This happens every day. This happens all the time. People are murdered in these. And this is not an inner city. I mean, this is Orlando. But I'm saying people are murdered all the time. But only time you'll hear about it is if it advances a political agenda. If for some reason this was a racial agenda that they can advance or some other gun agenda. If he had killed them with AR-15, maybe they'd be interested. But if just pure death, pure cultural rot. Uh, pure tragedy, they don't care. Just the news reports it. You're not going to hear it on any other stations. Anyway, that's it for today. If you're interested, go to drtommy.com slash podcast and learn more about the Dr. Tommy Show. And if you're interested in coming and learning about our medicine practice here in uh, Tampa, Florida, come in and join us at uh, Echelon Health. So thank you for joining us. Please subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, bye-bye. 